There are two big houses in King's Abbot. Uh, one is called King's Paddock, and the other is Fenley Park, owned by Roger Ackroyd. He is marked for death. For death. So, are we at the point, um, page 12 or something like that, before Roger Ackroyd has even died in the story, were they ready to make our grand accusation? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It was him. I've got a problem. It's very serious, and there's a lot of information involved in it, but I will tell you about it later. No, you won't. Oh, hello. Welcome to a mysterious shark liver oil. I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. And as you can tell from my excellent introduction, we are doing a new book, and it is called The Murder of Roger Ackroyd by Agatha Christie. It's a classic, Dave. We do the classics, Matt. That's what we do. Yeah. I've never read any Agatha Christie before, um, which may come as a surprise. Uh, if you haven't come across Agatha Christie at all, which would, I suppose would be an even bigger surprise, she's one of these really famous murder mystery writers. I suppose the original murder mystery writer. Yeah, yeah. Sort of forget about Ruth Rendell. Forget about... <laughs> Ruth who? Who are the others? I'm, I'm gone. I'm out. That's it. Got to. It's not my genre. It's not my genre. Which is one of the reasons why I'm quite excited about doing it, really, because it's it's you know I th- I these very well written books. It's all plot, um, but I know almost nothing yeah. about the form. I've read two or three Agatha Christie's in the past. Um, yeah, but it's, I, I I think it's interesting that you kind of went straight to the kind of hello weary <laughs> traveller, rest your feet at this Transylvanian castle kind of voice. Because yeah. cause you didn't do that when we did a Stephen King horror story. But with this, you're like, there's something tense about it that kind of draws that out of you, even though it's very sort of, the setting is very bucolic and very English and very countryside. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think with the Stephen King as, as well, I've read quite a lot of Stephen King. And I'm all, whenever I talk about Stephen King to anybody else, I'm always in... No, it's not like horror you think <laughs> mode, you know. It's not just blood and guts and stuff. It's actually really good character development and, you know, people you care about and tension and stuff. And, oh, it's not the old... Anyway, moving on. Yeah, Stephen King apologism is obviously a full-time job and a very emotionally draining one for you. I'll be yes. interested, actually, to hear at the end of this, like, how it compares, really, because it does have that same sense of, like, tension and suspense and, and kind of peril. Yeah. Um, less supernatural. Or maybe not. Mm. Who can say? Mm. So the interesting thing for this uh, Shark Live Royal, if, you, if you're just coming to us for the first time, where have you been? We've been doing this for a couple <laughs> of years now. Um, what we do is we take a book uh, like Agatha Christie's The Murder of Roger Ackroyd, break it down into a series of parts, and then go through it, almost like a page-by-page guide, um, over the next few weeks. Uh, the interesting thing about this one is Dave has read this before and I haven't. Oh no, no, that's not true. No, I haven't. You've not read it either. No, I've read mm-hmm. I've read Agatha Christie before, but I've never read The Merger of Roger Ackroyd. My wife actually, this is the only um, Agatha Christie she's read, and she and she's been on at me for months to read this so she can talk to me about it. And I've been like, yeah, we'll do it on the podcast at some point oh. because I am I am a terrible husband. And like, so finally coming to it, and of course I've been an idiot to wait this long. And it's fantastic. So uh, we're both coming fairly fresh-faced and 
you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed to this. Neither of us have read it before. Uh, by contrast with our usual world-weary cynicism, you mean? Yes. Uh, um, (laughs) But it's been highly recommended, so we're expecting great things of it. Mm. Um, Now, if you're going to, as many do, read along with us, then uh, the reading point for this week, the bit we're going to cover, is from the start, surprisingly enough, as far as chapter 6, called The Tunisian Dagger. Wonder what that's been used for. That's... That is the perfect Agatha Christie uh, chapter title, isn't it? Well. The Tunisian Dagger. Exactly. I don't think you'll be making it to Marrakesh. Sorry. (laughs) It sounds to me like a wrestler, that. The Tunisian Dagger. (laughs) Oh, no, it sounds like a porn star, doesn't it? That's awful. (laughs) Yeah, or a porn star. Now you've said that. I can't get it out of my brain. I tend to find that uh, wrestler names and porn star names are interchangeable, actually. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's Hulk Hogan. Yeah. yeah like the Rock. Right. Yeah. yeah. Rowdy warrior. Roddy Piper. That's a bit of a more difficult one, isn't it? <laughs> anyway. Okay. Um, right. The, uh, so, well, we may as well get straight into, the, uh, straight into it then. Yeah. So, The Murder of Roger Ackroyd. Chapter one. Yes. Uh, Dr. Doctor Shepherd and the Breakfast Table. So we meet our uh, protagonist. And uh, surprisingly enough, well, actually, there's no real surprise that it isn't Roger Ackroyd because it doesn't look like he's going to last very long. It's actually James Shepherd, Dr. James Shepherd, if you, if you will, who's the, uh, the protagonist, uh, is the guy that we see the uh, mystery through. Mm. Um, it turns out he's just come back from uh, he's a, he's come back from uh, seeing Mrs. Farris, who is dead. <gasps> she died on the sixteenth uh, or seventeenth of September. It was a Thursday, and the the general uh, agreement here is that she uh, died of natural causes. Although the doctor isn't one hundred percent sure, and his sister Caroline, mm. who, who he meets as he sort of comes into the house, uh, is a bit of a bit of a gossip, and she is sort of pitching this idea that maybe it was suicide, possibly. So we've got a suicide. Straight away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did did this throw you off a little bit? Because I was like, I was expecting it to open because it's a book called The Murder of Roger Ackroyd and it opens with somebody else's death. So I was like reading it, I was just sort of like, yeah, yeah, obviously, yeah, English small town, yeah, it's in that. Sunday Sunday tea time, it's in that, yeah, no, no. What? A woman? (laughs) No, it's it's about the death of Roger Ackroyd. What are you doing starting with somebody else's death? Yeah, maybe that's a twist. (laughs) (laughs) What, she was moonlighting as somebody called Roger Ackroyd the entire time? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, this is strange, but word is also getting around the village now um, about the possible sort of causes of death. And doctor, the doctor's thinking, James is thinking, you know, it might be one of these ones that goes to inquest because even though he vociferously disagrees with his sister, mainly just to disagree with her, uh, he's thinking she might have a point with the suicide thing. He's not convinced. Yeah, yeah, yeah very much. Mm. Um, uh, I, sorry. No, anything else to say about that? Well, just that I thought this was—I thought this was an incredibly efficient 
way of introducing a couple of characters. Like, in, in a page and a half, I already know that Dr. Shepard is mm. a decent man who will always go for the most obvious explanation, and his sister is the most insufferable Harridan imaginable. I actually <laughs> stop... I, I mean, just her whole kind of... Like, the way he kind of describes what a ridiculous character she is, but completely behind his eyes, and just carries on in this kind of, like, domestic whatever with her. Like, I just... I, I, yeah. inc- it's just great. Page and a half, and I already know what these characters are about. <laughs> okay, we've got to chapter two. This is Who's Who in King's Abbot. Um, this is a uh, an introduction to the to the village. So King's Abbot's a little English village in the middle of the countryside. The nearest city is called Cranchester. Hey, um, yeah, that's uh, that's the nearest that's the nearest city. That's the mo- is that the most English sounding name that actually isn't a place in England? Do you think Cranchester? Cranchester, like I mean, yeah. you'd have to work quite. You'd have to get into like the silly things, like little twittering on the wall or something, wouldn't you, to make up an even more English-sounding name? Yeah, I suppose it's a mixture of Cranford, which is a obviously quite famous English yeah. drama stroke comedy, uh, and obviously Manchester. So, <laughs> I I like that. I it's like the idea. Can you imagine saying saying like Cranford on a Moss Side estate? Yeah. That'd be amazing. <laughs> it's like chocolate. Yeah, yo. <laughs> Mr. Bennett. No, that's Pride and Prejudice, isn't it? Yeah, we know all about that. For more <laughs> Pride and Prejudice information, look at our back catalogue and our four-parter on Jane Austen's classic. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> uh, so there are there are two big houses in King's Abbot, um, two sort of uh, where the main players live, if you like. Uh, mm. One is owned by the Faraz, and it's called King's Paddock. And the other is Fenley Park, owned by Roger Ackroyd. Hey, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Roger, not long for this world, Ackroyd. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if she came up with the title first and then wrote the book, intending there to be this sense of dread through the first quarter of it. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like the first, this first chunk that we're doing today is every time you hear his name, you're like. He's marked for death. For death. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, Roger Ackroyd apparently made his fortune from being a successful wagon wheel manufacturer, which just just (laughs) makes me think of the chocolate. I think it's some kind of chocolate baron. (laughs) If you don't know, there's a a large sort of chocolate biscuit called wagon wheel, which sells quite well in England. It's it's the impact lunches of children up and down the country. And yeah. and and the standard football football match day snack, isn't it? Yes. Three o'clock Saturday afternoon, cup of Bovril and a wagon wheel. Yeah, jam wagon wheel. If you're particularly classy, oh, jam wagon jam wagon wheels is when you won last week. Yeah, that's what definitely. that is. It's the yeah. celebratory jam wagon wheel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Normal wagon wheels, what you have during Lent. <laughs> oh, we must never eat a jammy wagon wheel on a Friday. You know, that's a time. That's a time for withholding and and considering the eternal yeah. state of things. Well, this you is the problem. With, yeah, this is the problem with Friday kickoffs. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> <not bad about. laughs> um, so uh, <laughs> that 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 sort of digression aside, uh, we find out a bit about the sort of Roger Ackroyd and his family. So yeah, Roger was a successful wagon wheel manufacturer, uh, we assume... I can't not hear it now, every yeah. time you say this. We assume the actual 
wheels for wagons rather than chocolate biscuits. Uh, Mrs. Ackroyd, his late wife, was she's described as a dipsomaniac, which I think is an old-fashioned word for alcoholic, basically. Yes, um, it is. Yeah, yeah. But kind of before there was an understanding of alcoholism, like as a disease and the whole kind of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, thing about kind of sharing the burden. It was it was almost like it's like kleptomania. It was like, yeah. oh, she does some pretty weird stuff. You know, she could be relied upon to be constantly hammered, you know, is what kind of dipsomaniac meant, I think. Yeah. Uh, he's got a, uh, an adopted son called Ralph, who uh, seems to be sort of quite wayward and wild. Um, so, although this is an Agatha Christie novel, so I am quite interested to see what wayward and wild adds up to when you're in such a kind of bucolic, kind of well-behaved, wealthy community in England. You know, yeah, what I mean? yeah. Wayward and wild meaning occasionally doesn't stand up whenever a lady leaves leaves the table or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of wild, uh, Roger Ackroyd since uh, the death of his wife. Seems to have had a, a string of lady housekeepers um, hey. who he's been attached to for various <laughs> reasons. Attached at the waist well, or the... Never mind, sorry. Um, but uh, recently his sister-in-law's moved in. Cecil Ackroyd. I didn't know that was a... wasn't a, I thought that was a guy's name, Cecil, but anyway. Ce- Cecil Ac- Not Cecilia. It says Cecilia. Really? <laughs> I might be wrong. Brilliant. Very forward thinking. Well done indeed, Agatha Christie. Well done indeed. Let me have a look. Hashtag progressive. Maybe uh, it's entirely possible that I just haven't seen the A. Let me have a look. I don't want to go through the entire book without... No, it's Mrs. Cecil Ackroyd. Unless there's a a consistent typo in mine. No, no, no. She would have been married to his brother. Isn't that the thing? Oh, okay, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah so like Mrs... Yeah, yeah. So it was, you know, not at all forward-looking. Take back that hashtag, Agatha Christie. Not at all forward-looking. <laughs> From the era when women ceased to even have their own distinct name after they got married. <laughs> yeah. um, but so, but this is actually... This ties to something which I thought was quite interesting about this first bit. Is I actually had to pay quite close attention to all of the the kind of... So somebody is somebody else's yeah. stepson and somebody is... They're not related, but they are related but they, you know, she looks after him and she's his niece and all the rest of it. Like, yeah. and it, because this is, that's actually the kind of, that's the soil that all of this intrigue grows out of, I think. Yeah. And, but that meant that usually I skip over that stuff. I'm like, yeah, him, who knows her, who knows him, who lives there. Yeah, I'm yeah. such a terrible reader at this sort of thing. But actually it's really important. So I had to track back and like, didn't quite draw out the family tree, but it was close. Yeah, yeah, so there are a lot. Of, yeah, yeah, so, the, so there are a lot of, um, a lot of characters to suddenly sort of get to know here, aren't they, very quickly. A lot of them are just names and no more. But yes, yeah, so, mm-hmm. and, and even the names, as we f- found out, aren't always their real names. So Cecil Ackroyd, Mrs. Cecil Ackroyd, Mrs. Ackroyd, we don't know her first name, sister-in-law of Roger. She's moved in recently anyway, and she's put the kibosh on this, uh, this housekeeper stuff. Oh. Yeah. Ooh, that's going to sting. Hater. She's gonna, she hates both the player and the game, yeah. contrary to standard procedure. <laughs> yeah, um, and Mrs. F- Mrs. Farah was last seen wandering around with Ralph. It turns out, who's back in town. Um, so, what, Mrs. And- 
Oh no, it's not Mrs. Farrow the housekeeper. It's, this is I'm going to be awful at this, aren't I? Mrs. Farrow yeah. is not the housekeeper. She's the she was the woman that Ackroyd was sort of. Was there a thing there? No, I thought Mrs. Farrow. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So before she before Mrs. Farrow died, as in the woman at the start who's been found dead who may have committed suicide, she was last seen wandering around with Ralph, which is. Kind of weird, because he's not even supposed to be in town. Ooh, mm. that is that is yeah. odd. So he's sort of turned up in this tiny town and gone and seen this woman who subsequently died, mm. and his his table manners are known to be less than impeccable. It was him. It was him. Yeah, clearly. All the evidence is pointing in one direction <laughs> at the moment. All Shall three. We, we, Isn't it are interesting we at the point how this? On, on... <laughs> This turns you into a version of this completely insufferable sister character because you just you spend your entire time looking at what everybody's doing and going. It was her. She's dodgy as <laughs> shit. That one. Ooh, I knew it the moment I looked at her. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, are we at the point, um, page twelve or something like that, before Roger Ackroyd has even died in the story? We'll be ready to make our grand accusation. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It was him. I'm so Robin. <laughs> okay, Ralph. I'm Ralph. <laughs> Poor Robin. Robin's <laughs> being arrested. Robin's some stable hand. They've got to got his, his 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 vicar twin brother, Robin. This always happens to me. This. <laughs> okay, uh, so uh, James or oh, Doctor Shepherd meets. Uh, Roger Ackroyd just sort of bumps into him in the street and Roger Ackroyd says he has no idea that Ralph's around, which is weird because you think he'd know that he's, he's sort of adopted sons in town, but anyway. Yeah, um, and weird. M- Miss Gannett, who's the housekeeper um, <laughs> at the Ackroyd residence, comes to see James, uh, Dr. Shepherd, later on that day. Basically mm. feigns a knee injury just to have a chat with him and rather strangely start asking about undetectable poisons <laughs> as you do <laughs> and I love that he responds to it in this very English kind of well interestingly you know he could just kind of doesn't why do you want to know that or anything it's like obviously a, a decent decent woman so you must have some perfectly reasonable reason for asking about the weapon for the perfect murder <laughs> it is a bit suspect that isn't it yeah, he does sort of raise a red flag. I can't think of an innocent reason for asking about that, but anyway, maybe there is. You got to keep an open mind with these things. Maybe there is. Mm. On the other hand, maybe there isn't. Uh, we got to move on to. <laughs> we move on to cha- move on to chapter three. The man who grew vegetable marrows. Uh, just before we get into the growing marrow part, um, we find out that Ralph, uh, sort of compounding this dad doesn't know I'm here line, is staying at a pub down the road. He's not staying at uh, Fenley Park with his dad, where you would expect him to be. Mm. Again, kind of mm. weird. And um, Kind of weird. Yeah. And he's meeting... This is a little confusing. But uh, it's, there's a suggestion. I think this is passed from Caroline... Um, going around the village that Ralph is uh, meeting a woman uh, maybe 
starting the process of marrying his cousin, Flora, well, who we haven't met yet. This is a fairly... I, I, I tell you what I'm aware of doing this, like, uh, talking over it again. This is a fairly, like, rapid immersion in the sort of weird social mores of your privileged upper middle class in yeah. in the sort of early early 1900s, eh? Like yeah. this, like every you know, there's two major houses in the town, and they're, 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 these are the people of significance of the people who live in those houses, and and the stepson of one is marrying his own cousin because it's okay because <laughs> the queen did that, you know, all of that sort of thing. Like, wait, 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 wait. your cousin, you, yeah, what? Not so much. <laughs> yeah, I thought that reading it because it said he's he might be marrying his cousin. I thought, oh, God, that's weird and scandalous, isn't it? And then I read a bit more and like, oh, no, it's not. It's just normal. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> no, no. But anyway. Perfectly, perfectly um, normal. Which, and I think, I think for all the ranting that goes on in the UK about what happened with the death of the empire, I think we need to look first and foremost at the fact that it became socially acceptable to marry somebody who was like almost one of your siblings. I think that is probably what went wrong with the country. <laughs> Um, now we, we move on to uh, this discussion about Dr. Shepard's new neighbour who's just moved in. There's a little fella with a tash. And uh, any Agatha Christie fans will immediately know who this is. Uh, a cheer went up from the, from the away end. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they assume that this guy must be a hairdresser. Just look at his tash, they say, basically. Um, <laughs> He's got to be a hairdresser. That's the dream, isn't it? That's hipster before it was hipster, right? Yeah. Being able to tell somebody's profession just by looking at how well how well trimmed their moustache is. Yeah. yeah. So Dr. Shepard has a chat over the garden fence with this new neighbour. Uh, they talk about how Dr. Shepard's been speculating in the porcupine oil fields. Looks like he's a bit of a risk taker, or Dr. Shep. Um, when I first read that, I did think... Like, not so much an oil field, which for some reason is named after the animal, the porcupine, as I thought, some sort of weird farming operation, which, like, I don't know, porcupines secrete some kind of oil, like whale oil or something. Like, oh, I was told it was going to be the next big thing. We'd all be running our lamps off of it, so I put all my money into it, and then it didn't work out. Porcupine oil. Porcupine oil fields. Massive fields full of porcupines, just one at a time, you know, scraping the oil off of their quills. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, sorry. It could have been the next big sort of hipster cooking thing. Two teaspoons of porcupine oil. <laughs> Two teaspoons uh, of porcupine oil sprinkled with some moustache trimmings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we find out the name of said moustachioid neighbour. Uh, he is Poirot, or Porot, as it's as it's spelled in here. Why is the spelling different? Oh, you've, you've ruined the big reveal. Oh, Why? it's because he's hidden his, he's, he's hiding his identity, is what he's doing. So he's like, I think the idea is that he's kind of already <laughs> He's hiding his identity by yeah, changing not... one letter in his surname. <laughs> no, 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 he's just let everybody pronounce it wrong. He's just kind of turned up and been all inscrutable and stuff. <laughs> I thought it was like... It's, uh, no, I'm not called Matthew. I'm called Matthew. 
<laughs> That's completely brilliant, and 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 probably very a very you know in a, again we're talking about small town small town England nineteen hundreds you know decades of inbreeding. I reckon you could get away with it. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. My name is Mister Porot. <laughs> mm. <laughs> oh, you like that famous guy Poirot? No, 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 no. No, Poirot. no, no. I might be about the same height and about the same Belgianness, and uh, and I might have exactly the same moustache. But no, we're completely different people. <laughs> I, Mr. Porrot, like to be left alone. Hmm. Um, so it sounds like Porrot, as he's known, uh, has had a chat with the old, uh, uh, the old Mr. Ackroyd, and Ackroyd has said that he knows that his cousin's to be married to Ralph. So again, everybody's fine with it. Yeah, but also this is strange because you think why all the cloak and dagger with Ralph coming up on the sly and staying somewhere else and you know not telling his dad that he's in town if yeah. his dad's cool with it. Yeah. Weird. Hmm. Um next up Caroline um says that she's been for a walk in the woods just so happens and um <laughs> has come across Ralph and a mystery woman talking in secret we assume this is flora the sort of his cousin talking about you know this secret marriage which apparently his dad knows about mm. and he says that she overhears him say i've got to wait for him to die <gasps> the evidence is stacking up against it was him it was him Ralph. yeah we'll see it's not looking good for him though <laughs> um so uh, dr shepherd then goes to meet ralph in the pub and uh ralph's looking a bit shifty and he says to him this is a i just highlighted this bit key quote i'm in trouble i've got to play it but i've got to play a lone hand so basically i got a problem and i can't tell you about it well now she doesn't know she's in a mystery novel which i suppose is the only reason why she'd do something so clearly problematic but to be honest with you if you do that in in a mystery story like this you know you're going to die right <laughs> i've got a problem it's very serious and there's a lot of information involved in it but i will tell you about it later yeah no you won't yeah i mean it, coming off the back of that uh overheard conversation in the woods his problem seems to be dad isn't dead yet which is a strange problem to have but maybe it's something else we don't know yeah yeah, yeah. so next up is uh, chapter three dinner at fernley so dr shepherd goes to see roger Ackroyd. And have dinner. Um, as he arrives and he's being led into the sort of the drawing room, he hears the sound of what he thinks is a window closing, and then the housekeeper sort of comes over, all out of breath and flustered. <laughs> Did you think what I'm thinking here? <laughs> <laughs> I did a bit. I have so, to say, so I got a bit Mills and Boone. It, yeah, well, I mean, exactly. It's like she comes out, oh, oh, I'm all overcome. Oh, Dr. Shepherd, I'll just run away over here. <laughs> Again, yeah. I, actually, which is an, an interesting little thing, is that I can't work out if the presentation of women in this novel is, like, it feels quite two-dimensional to me. Mm. And I would, I would properly roast a male author who did that. But... I'm like, what's going on with Agatha Christie? She clearly knows how to write really strong characters. She's a strong woman herself. Mm. But she writes these these absolute, like, like bedroom farce moments. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> it turns out the window, it wasn't a window closing because the type of windows in this room, once Dr. Shepard walks in, he sees, are the type that don't open. They're just sort of, you know, you know the ones, just massive panes of glass that you can't open yeah. or shut. Um, yeah. But there is a cabinet that makes just the same noise as, as he heard, um, which has got all these weird sort of little trinkets in um, various... I don't know, maybe one of these things are important later on, but at the moment they just seem this various collection of strange sort of collector's items. I think there's yeah. some, something like, was it some shoes worn by a king or something like that? Something like that, yeah. Mm. yeah. yeah. Um, and, and like sort of curios from, this, you know, the sort, of, the sort of thing that in the age of empire people went off and had 30-year careers in Namibia killing everybody they could see just so they could come back and have a glass case full of slightly curious-looking things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, now the uh, the rest of the household come down to sort of say hello and sit down and have dinner. There's there's obviously Flora, who is the uh, the cousin who Ralph may be marrying, may not be. There's there's Mrs. Ackroyd who he doesn't like. This was gave me a bit of a jilt because I was still in the um, I'd forgotten about the fact his sister in law had moved in and she's also called Mrs. Ackroyd. And I just thought she'd risen from the grave. This is the, the late Mrs. Ackroyd. <laughs> Taking a swift handbrake turn into Stephen King territory there. <laughs> yeah. But no, that's the sister in law. He doesn't like her, does he? She looks um, mean, basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she's got a bloke's name. What's that about? Well, yeah. There's a. There's a, a character, who, like a fr- another friend who they've had around for dinner, called Major Blunt. <laughs> <laughs> who, who I just, he just sounds like a rapper. He's a <laughs> <laughs> do, you, you don't really want to have a name like Blunt if you're going to get into a game that involves a lot of rhyming, though, do you? That's not a place you want to go. I t- I t- actually, Blunt. I tell you what. I thought you were going to say that. First of all, Major Blunt, what a fantastic name. Because I, I bet you he's a particularly plain speaker as well, isn't he? I bet he's somebody who's not, not terribly given to observing the social niceties. <laughs> because subtext is for losers. But also, i tell you the thing I noticed, right, is that unless I am very much mistaken, the, the singer, James Blunt, hmm. I think he was a major in the army. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right, actually, yeah. So he was Major Hang on Blunt. a sec. Let's have a look. No, he only made it to Captain. There we go. Ah, uh, Captain Blunt. There we go. Captain Blunt. <clears throat> Much better. <laughs> yeah. No, I just thought Blunt, because Blunt's obviously a slang for a massive joint as well. <laughs> <laughs> I like it's that I went to like convincingly Anglo-Saxon personal abuse and you went to <laughs> drugs. I think that's really funny. Does yeah, that say something about Blunt. the way we think? Is that, I don't know, is that... I could, I could definitely see a rapper or like a, some kind of DJ or something being called Major Blunt and wearing like a, a an army jacket or something, constantly being seen lighting up. But anyway, Major Blunt. Uh, now, yeah. oh, wait, there's a discussion they have about uh, an article in the Daily Mail about a new sweet pea that's been found. Uh, and I just thought if it was... Uh, if it was these days, the article would surely <laughs> be saying that the new sweet pea could give you cancer. Um, yeah, that's exactly what it would be, wouldn't it? New sweet pea immigrates from France, all <laughs> England, desperately in danger, is what it would say. Yeah. It's really interesting from an age where, like, you know, kind of 
like the daily I just read the daily mail I read like I just see that word and I'm like oh so you're all mental then which I realize yeah. is not a terribly uh, not a t- not a terribly um uh tolerant approach um, most popular newspaper in the country yeah yeah that's <laughs> depressing isn't it <laughs> Anyway, we're getting off the point here. But let us assume that despite the fact that they read the Daily Mail, almost nobody will express uh, views which are, um, one might argue, somewhat inhumane. Carry on. <laughs> yeah, so um, it's actually a bit of a bonding thing, this. Uh, as Dr. Shepard realises that someone else reads the Daily Mail and quite likes him for it. And yeah! <laughs> it's like, oh, he reads the Daily Mail, must be all oh, right. <laughs> he must be a perfectly decent chap. Again, Matt, Tempus Fugit, eh? <laughs> How times change. Now, um, he, he also sees, obviously, Roger Ackroyd, who appears unhappy, distracted, and just looks generally wretched, he says. And before long, <sighs> Ackroyd pulls him into a room for a quiet talk. Um, turns out he's been getting friendly with uh, Mrs. Faraz um, before she died. Yeah, And Mrs. Faraz confessed to Roger Ackroyd uh, just before she died that she had actually killed her husband bloody hell Mm. I I tell you what you think it's all nice but behind closed doors rural England yeah well the problem is as well that uh, someone else knows this and has been blackmailing her and Roger Ackroyd has been trying to find out who he thinks it must have been a man for some reason um, and he wants to find the blackmailer. As they're having this conversation, a letter arrives, and it's from the late Mrs. Faraz. <gasps> and they both have a look at it, and it looks like in the letter she's going to name who the blackmailer is, and then Roger Ackroyd says, I want to read this on my own. Please leave. So we, we, don't, we don't get to find out <laughs> who it is. That's it. It's a bit Let me too tell you what I think that. is the particular genius of Agatha Christie in this situation, right? Is that <clears throat> if it wasn't as well written, if, it, if she didn't have just the absolutely perfectly balanced between giving me enough information and not giving me enough information to keep the tension up, I would be throwing the book across the room at that point. If I knew <laughs> I was reading a murder mystery and it's called The Murder of Roger Ackroyd, and she's like, maybe there's some important piece of information here, psych! <laughs> I would just have completely lost my shit but no no somehow she manages to keep it on this knife edge between intriguing and infuriating yeah so uh, Dr. Shepard says oh well fair enough leaves the room and goes home and uh, shortly after gets a call from the butler saying Roger Ackroyd's been murdered <gasps> gasp so we move on to chapter five, aptly called Murder. And uh, so the doctor... Again, she's not one for subtext, is she? <laughs> no. The doctor returns as fast as his little legs can carry him. Oh, I, f- I forgot about, actually, the important point, just before he gets home and then finds out about the murder, the mm. butler is outside the room where sort of Ackroyd's been talking to to doc- the doctor. Looking, He's looking really shifty, this butler. That might be important. Mm. And also, on his walk home... <laughs> this is really good. The doctor bumps into a shifty-looking, rough-looking stranger who says, What? Do you know the way 
Do you know the way to Fernley Park, Governor? <laughs> and, and Dr. Shepard goes, Oh, yes, yes, very good. It's just uh, up round there, the, through the gate. Uh, you may want to climb over the fence to the side if you don't wish to be seen. <laughs> you may as well have done. <laughs> Again, quite a trusting approach, one has to say, given that he's heard of somebody murdering somebody else. <laughs> yeah. So, Quite recently, and there seems to be a lot of intrigue afoot, and then he d- bumps into somebody sort of mysterious, yeah. and gives him all help he possibly can, because yeah. he's a decent chap. Seemed like he read the Daily Mail, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not a big leap to uh, sort of put these two things coming one after the other together here. The sudden appearance of shifty and dangerous-looking man looking for Fernley Park... <laughs> and the sudden death of said owner of Fernley Park. <laughs> but let's not jump to conclusions. Let's not, no, let's, let's not, because we already know, don't we, that it's Ralph. Well, exactly, yeah. We, um, you seem less than convinced by this, by this hypothesis. <laughs> I, I can't, now that I've put all my cards on the table after 12 pages, I can't, <laughs> I, I think you're going to hold off guessing until we get to right before the point where we find <laughs> out, and that'll be disappointing for me. I think you need to... You need to nut up. You need to put some put some chips down. Yeah. Well, I'm going to at least wait till the poor guy's dead. Which well, suppose, isn't it? have you? Yeah. Have you? A bit conventional, isn't it? <laughs> uh, so we move on to murder. Uh, Dr. Shepard goes round to the Ackroyd household. The butler answers the door and appears to be really shocked and says, no, I, d- I didn't call you. Mr. Ackroyd's fine. And, and it's like, what? So who placed the call? Who knows? Who, who indeed? Um, they go just to just to make sure that Mr. Ackroyd's fine. Find the the door to the study locked, and when they finally break in, surprise, surprise, he is actually dead. He's been stabbed in the neck from behind. Whoa, whoa! And there's an open window as well, and footprints leading away from the scene of the crime. Dun dun dun! Hang on, I said I thought you said they couldn't open the windows. This is a different room. Oh, is it? Oh, I thought mm. it was the same room. No, this is um. one of those rooms where the windows can slide up and down. Ah, uh, all right, yeah. cool. So the window, but it, but it looks like the window would have had to have been open from the inside. So, which suggests they talk here, and it suggests that Roger Ackroyd let in whoever it was who killed him Maybe. through the window. Presumably needing there, therefore, to be some sort of mystery around it. Maybe. Or, like, you know, they couldn't come to the front door. Yeah. I Um, wonder if this individual was indeed somebody in a big overcoat and a hat hiding most of their face. Do you reckon? Who who speaks like this, governor? Yeah, when he's not being called Ralph. What? You you saying it should be me? You saying I have something to do with this? Shifty Ah, old ah. me, turning up... Middle of the night, looking for Fenley Park. Oh, no, no, nothing like that. <laughs> and the thing is, you know for certain that's exactly the accent that Agatha Christie had in her head when she was planning that character. <laughs> Shifty as, with a very broad London accent. Yeah. So that the household slowly sort of comes round to this fact that Roger Ackroyd's dead, everyone slowly learns it. A guy called Geoffrey Raymond is here, and he's all upset. Who the hell's this guy? Couldn't tell you. Don't trust a bloke with two names. That's all Je- I'll say. Jeffrey Jeff- Raymond. Jeffrey Raymond. Um, no, he's his um, his uh, sort of assistant, isn't he? Personal assistant slash secretary. Right. Yeah. So he's, he's sort of like you know he does the paperwork and tidies things up and runs the household and all of that sort of thing. Oh, uh, Okay. Has he been? Did he pop up earlier on? And I've just missed him. 
He did, yeah. Okay. But very briefly, like I think what it was is Shepard walks into the house and this Raymond fella's there, and okay. and, and and that's the and he just ducks into a side room after you know politely saying hello, and yeah. the whole purpose of that scene is to be like to have him be like Jeffrey Raymond was the exposition of the exposition for this exposition <laughs> moment. <laughs> Because at this point, all the Hexels find it out, and Jeffrey Raymond runs in and goes, Oh, it's terrible. And my first thought was, Who the hell are you? <laughs> That's, it's a mystery novel on many levels, Matt. There are many <laughs> mysteries in this novel. I just thought it was one of those sort of griefers. You just do like on Facebook, you suddenly start liking <laughs> tragic things. You oh, sort of turn up. <laughs> yeah. Whatever the, whatever the 1900s equivalent of. <laughs> Facebook is. I read it in the Daily Mail. <laughs> I've just heard the news. Oh, it's terrible. Let me see the body. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Can we know. come in for a gloat, they say? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just imagine this Jeffrey Raymond say, like, he goes over to Flora, just to let you know, I'm here for you, Flora. And Flora's like, oh, thank you. Who are you? <laughs> 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 Right, anyway, so Flora, speaking of Flora, so the, the niece stroke, you know, love interest, it seems, for Ralph, um, she says she saw Roger Ackroyd at about quarter to ten, and he said he wasn't to be disturbed. Um, the butler backs this up, but the but- butler looks shifty as fuck as he said <laughs> <laughs> I do love, I do love the presentation of a truly untrustworthy looking character in this as well. Yeah, the butler Shitty seems to be. Fuck. Yeah, he seems to be progressively shitting his pants throughout this. The butler doesn't he? As if he's trying to cover something up. So does uh, that make it more or less likely that he's the guy? You know, like do, I mean, because it wouldn't be much of a mystery novel if the man who looks the most suspicious at the start turns out to be the man who did it. But yeah. at the same time, he is behaving very shiftily. So is it that he's sort of like? Is he was he was he trying to quit and he wanted to do it by doing a massive shit in the corner of the room and he knows that it's there but now this has happened and suddenly he's like oh god they're gonna find out they're gonna see what I, oh, I thought it was gonna be really witty and then disappear into the night and oh oh no no yeah no I I think um, I think he is my prediction I think he has had something to do with it but. He isn't the actual murderer himself. He's just sort of involved. Mm, right. Is that a few chips going down on the table there, Matt? A little, so, yeah. little bit of a bet put in. Right, there you go. You're on You're on the butler. I'm on the... I'm Ralph the Poisoner. <laughs> do you know what I think we should do at the end of each one of these sections? So yeah. it's coming up very shortly. We should each describe what we think's happened. Yeah. And then we'll we'll see if our opinions change as we go through. Yeah, brilliant. Um, what the only other thing to say here is when Flora finds out that Ackroyd is dead, she faints, as as women at that time seem to <laughs> as always do. Women do, <laughs> deary me, my word. Does she also when she wakes up? Does she ask somebody's opinion on what car she should buy based on what colour it is? As well? <laughs> yeah, well uh, sketched that, then. That that brings us to the the end of this this part for today. So, Dave, it's time for you to sum up. I'm kind of putting you on the spot here. Um, all right. What you think has happened? How did he die, and why? Well, all right. So, so here we go. Here we go. What have we got? We've got some sort of shady business going on in the family, and quite a, not. And and by the way, not there referring to the business of his son marrying his cousin, which is perfectly normal. Yeah, he seems accounts. cool with that, doesn't he? So he's yeah. all right with that. So that's not what was going on. Um, 
Ralph's in town, but his dad doesn't know. And his dad knows that he's in town, but he's not staying with his dad. Um, there's a mysterious stranger that came to the window and was... Oh, well, there was a mysterious stranger outside, and then somebody came to the window and was let in. Mm. So presumably it's somebody known to Roger Ackroyd. But then Roger Ackroyd presumably sat down with his back to him, stopped talking, and then got stabbed in the back. Mm. So it's got to be somebody that he thought he had just dismissed. Mm. Oh, oh, yo, I, I'm, and, and to say nothing of suspiciously chirpy griefer Raymond, <laughs> suspiciously sweaty butler, whatever his name is, and suspiciously flustered straight out of a British drawing room farce housekeeper, Mrs. Gannett, is it? Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I forgot about that. Yeah. Literally everybody is is iffy in this book. And to be honest with you, while I'm still I'm still betting on Ralph, and I'm fairly certain it wasn't the Doctor, but who can say? <laughs> that would be a thing, wouldn't it? Something I forgot to mention earlier on was the short period of time during which I snuck into the room and stabbed him repeatedly in the sternum. <laughs> um, but discounting that as a possibility, um, I would quite like it to be Caroline, the Doctor's sister, because I just think she's a horrible person. Mm. And she would just do it. This is what it is. Is if she did that, she would do it just for the gossip. She would do it so she'd have something to gossip about. In fact, Matt, she would do it for the lulls. So, <laughs> in an era where where you know the Facebook equivalent is the Daily Mail, murdering people just for the gossip is the equivalent of doing something for the lulls, lulls sec <laughs> or whatever. Right? That's what I'm saying here. So, so what? So what is it you're going to come down on? Caroline did it just just for a bit of gossip. No, Ralph. Ralph. <laughs> Ralph is the man putting on the dodgy accent, Governor. Right. Ralph. So Ralph, Ralph snuck in and killed him. Ralph snuck in and killed him. And because logic. Yeah. Okay. All right. What about you? I think. Um, so let's see. We've got the shift. We've got the shifty sister-in-law, haven't we? We have. Um, I reckon she might be sort of a just a misdirection, though. I reckon. Mm. So. Roger Ackroyd's been sort of carrying on with his his housekeeper, hasn't he? I reckon. Oh yeah. I reckon. I reckon his housekeeper and his son wants to sort of run off together, and Ooh. but his son's being pushed towards marrying his cousin, who he's not into anyway. So he's so oh. so, so, so he's so his housekeeper <clears throat> comes into the room. And he says, I don't want to be disturbed because he wants a bit of sexy time with his housekeeper. His housekeeper comes in, does a little sort of sexy dance, getting him all sort of, <laughs> get, get, getting him all sort of defences down and sort of maybe sort of straddles him on the, on, this, on, the, on the chair and then buries the knife into the back of his neck. And the, but, the butler, <laughs> the butler's a pervert and he's been sort of watching through the keyhole. He's always he always watches whenever the the boss is getting it on. <laughs> he's mid stroke and he sees the knife going, <laughs> and suddenly he's watching. He's suddenly he's, he's jerking off to horror porn, and that's why he's all flustered. <laughs> that's it, disgusting, Dave. It's the only logical explanation. <laughs> all the pieces fit together. Bollocks! Bollocks! <laughs> Those pieces fit together like 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 
jam and marmite. That's how well <laughs> they fit together. <laughs> well, they're our first predictions. All right, there we go. Um, I, I'm, I am actually looking forward to finding out what really happened because I'm pretty sure neither of those are right. No, I'm um, right. You, you're doing yours for the for the lulls. I'm sticking with mine, Ralph. <laughs> I, I think there might be some. I mean, the, the details may be slightly off with me, but I think there might be something in, you know, um, <clears throat> in housekeeper sexy times. Housekeeper killing him to run off with Ralph. I don't know. Maybe not because they're not going to get the money then, wouldn't they? And he, if he doesn't want, he wants uh, to sort of keep it in the family, as it were. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. That's that's the best guess, anyway. Yeah. Uh, Plus, had his sexy time and perverted butler, sweaty perverted <laughs> butler. <laughs> okay, well, uh, ne- Dave, actually, you're uh, you're the boss on this one. Where are we reading to next week? Well, uh, let's do to um, to the end of chapter eleven. Obviously, as well, if you want to get your own predictions in about what's going to happen, if you think you can do better than me and Dave at the stage of the book we're at now, please no spoilers, but. Um, Send the predictions into Shark Liver Oil Podcast at gmail.com. That's Shark Liver Oil Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, we, shall, we shall read the best ones out. Um, preferably either make them realistic or just ridiculous. The more ridiculous, the better, I suppose. Yes. Uh, until next time, Dave, uh, enjoy the re- next part of the book and uh, get ready with your next prediction. Thank you. Uh, once we reach the end of part two. I believe I will. But it will be Ralph. Thank you.